Pocketbook. Noun. One. A woman's handbag. Two. A paperback or other small cheap edition of a book. Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Pocketbook, the Down Market podcast where we read hard things so you don't have to. I'll just say before we get started here on our third episode that if you have made it this far and you still are unsure about whether or not this is a deeply devotional religious podcast with zero humor in it, it's not. Turn back now. You mortals, you have been warned. My other little disclaimer is that um, this is, yeah, this is the down market version, friends. If you were looking for deep biblical scholarship, this isn't the place. And... If you are listening to this backwards, maybe don't. Things happen in chronological order, so it's probably better for everyone if you go from episode one and move on. Otherwise, you might be confused, but I mean, you know what? You're a big kid. I'm not the boss of you. So if you want to start from the end of wherever you're starting from and work backwards, I will not stop you. You just do what you want to do. Just you've been warned. It might be confusing. So if you are going in the proper order... Last episode, we talked about the Tower of Babel at the end of Genesis 11. And there's a whole little piece here headed descendants of Shem. And you know what? This is the advantage of having the down market version of the podcast. We're not going to talk about that because I have nothing fun to say about the descendants of Shem, except that one of them was named Peleg, which is kind of funky. So if you're looking for cool baby names, hit up the Bible, my friends, particularly the Old Testament. And we're going to move on to our new character alert. This is Genesis 12. And we get to meet Abram, who I suspect, if I was pronouncing this correctly, would be Abram. But I don't know how to do that. And I don't want to make an ass of myself. So I'm just going to say it the super English white way that I was taught to say it. Um, Don't be mad. But like I say, if you've gotten this far... You already know the rules. Don't be mad at me at all. I'm just speaking into the void and people are listening, apparently. So, we just jump in to Abraham. Sorry, he's going to be Abraham. I'm going to confuse this at least five times throughout the podcast, so prepare yourself. I might say Abraham. I might say Abram. He starts the story as Abram and his wife starts the story as Sarai. They will change their names. Abram will become Abraham. Sarai will become Sarah. So, just in case... I muck it up, you know that I'm still talking about the same people. And we are coming back to tradition with more oral tradition markers in the text. So, like I say, chapter 11 ends with so-and-so was son of so-and-so and son of so-and-so, and then Abram was born. Bam! Now they live in Haran. And we just jump on with the story. It's almost like filler, you know, when they do a montage. This is like a Picture a montage from the end of Noah's story all the way to the beginning of Abram's story. And all that happens in the middle is people are born and they die. And they move to places. And -and so-and-so is the son of so-and-so. And that is really just the way of passing the time to say, so some time happened between Noah and Abram. And now we're going to skip to the important stuff. And that's what we're going to do too. So the first thing that happens is... God just calls up Abram. Says, yo, my guy, it's time to move to a new land. And Abram, to his credit, doesn't go, uh, what? And I don't know whether he asked where or what or whatever, but God has this big long speech about, don't worry about what land it is, I'll show you when you get there. You're going to get a bunch of goodies, it's going to be awesome. 
So Abram is like, predictably, you know, yeah, I like goodies. That sounds like a good idea. So he takes his wife, Sarai, spelled S-A-R-A-I, and Lot, who is his nephew, that's not his wife, and all of their quote-unquote people. Now, if you want this to be a happy story, you can think to yourself, these are just servants and people that, you know, hang out with them. They're probably slaves. But you'll be happy to know that once we get to Leviticus and the laying out of the law, that there's rules about how long you can keep slaves and how you can treat them and all those kinds of things. So it's like, maybe not as bad as slavery? I don't know, if you could put slavery on a scale of 1 to 10, we shouldn't do that. Moving right on. Anyway, they uh, pack it all up, all their camels and their sheep and their goats and all the good stuff, and they head off to Canaan. They take a little bit of a pit stop to, at Bethel to sacrifice to the Lord because the Lord said, I'm going to give Canaan to your descendants. So you'll notice, I said last episode that we were going to hear about Canaan again. So if, again, if you're listening to this in the wrong order, Canaan is Noah's grandson and Noah cursed him to be, have a bad time, I guess. And I think it's really interesting. I don't know whether that was an explanatory story, if that was something that someone added in later on and said, neener, neener, we took Canaan from the Canaanites. So obviously Canaan was a cursed descendant of Noah. I'm not sure. Well, once we, once we get to chatting with the Canaanites later on here in the Old Testament, we'll maybe come back to that again. But just so that you know that connection is there, don't forget about it. And also you're supposed to remember three and seven and 40 and all those good holy numbers we've been talking about. So we have a little pit stop, sacrifice to the Lord, give him a goat or whatever the Lord likes. And then they carry on with their road trip. So they pitch the tent, build an altar, call on the Lord, and they're back on track. Destination, Egypt. Mission, famine. So this yeah, destination, Egypt, mission, famine. This is a tiny episode that is going to happen over and over and over and over again. So prepare yourself. Lots of people in the Old Testament have a situation where they go, ah, everyone's starving and dying. This is the worst. We should go to Egypt. There's some good scientific reasons for this. I mean, Egypt is in the Nile Delta. It was an incredibly rich part of the land at the time. I mean, things grow nice there. You can consult an economist or a human ecologist or somebody about why it's good to live on a floodplain. Like I say, there's lots of scholars out there that will tell you why Egypt's a good place to go for the buffet. So everybody's doing it. We're going to head on down to Egypt. And so, yeah, the plan. This And this is where things start getting wild. Like, I'm telling you, man, tuck in because it's just going to get crazy. So... Abram says to Sarai, look, okay, so you are smoking hot. And Sarai's like, duh, yeah, I know that. And so Abram is worried that if he and Sarai go into Egypt as husband and wife, that what's going to happen is the Egyptians are going to go, whoa, that's Sarai. She's smoking hot. Ah, damn it. She's married. Solution, kill the husband. And, you know, I mean, Abram doesn't really want to be killed understandably so. I feel like, you know, you've just been promised the land of Canaan. You kind of want to, you know, live to see how things go. So he comes up with a very cunning plan and says, hey, hey, guess what? You should pretend to be my sister. And Sarai's like, yeah, okay, cool. And so as predicted, the Egyptians are like, wow, that's Sarai. She's hot as shit. And because Abram is her brother, not her husband they're like oh man abram's and sarai's crew yeah yeah let's look after him 
So this is this is another theme that's going to come up here. Remember going to going to Egypt for the all you can eat grain buffet and also ladies in the Bible using the power that they had to protect their people. That's going to come up again as well once we get to chatting about Esther and Ruth. So, I mean it's a bonkers plan. I don't know how to frame this. I like to look at it as Sarai being like, yeah, you're right. I am hot as shit. So you know what? You probably shouldn't be my husband for the duration of this time because yeah, someone would kill you in order to marry me. Yeah, pretty, pretty good plan. So like I say, Sarai gets, you know, in quotation marks, taken to Pharaoh's house. <sighs> this is one of those times when the the joke is sex, right? She gets taken to Pharaoh's house. She hangs out there. Sexy times happen. It's a whole thing. But Abram gets all the early goodies. And this is the early world goodies. So he gets oxen and slaves, male and female. The Bible does specify. Very, very specific. Sheep, camels, donkeys, and the whole Pharaoh deluxe package. So he gets it all, man. This is the good treatment. So Abram is like, yeah, we have signed up for the spa. Good stuff. But here's the thing. God gets pissed that Pharaoh is sleeping around with Abram's wife. So does he call up Abram and say, Abram, what the hell, man? Why'd you do that? Nope. <sighs> Instead, he afflicts, afflicts the Pharaoh with plagues. Don't worry. This is another thing that's going to come up. I mean, <sighs> Pharaoh just has a bad time, man. I mean, if a Pharaoh of Egypt comes up in the book you know he's going to have a bad day. So like I said, do we call up Abram? Nah. We're just going to afflict the Pharaoh with plagues. Unspecified at this point, but I'm sure that you may or may not have heard about the whole Moses situation and all of those plagues. I don't really know. So Pharaoh gets a little treatment of unspecified plague from the God warehouse. And somehow he learns that the whole reason they're having plagues, I don't know, he probably went to his seer dudes and was like, oh, where did all this plague come from? And they're like, I don't know, apparently some Israelite god's mad at us. I hear you're sleeping with somebody's wife? And Pharaoh goes, ah, uh, what? Because, you know. Yeah, so he finds all about oh, all about the sister act and he is pissed. Like, dude, what the, what the frick? You let me take your wife as my wife? Ew! Let's cut that shit. GTFO. Just leave my country, you weak punk. So Abram says, yeah, okay. And this is the best part. He gets to take the Pharaoh Deluxe package with him. So, I mean, honestly, assuming that the Pharaoh was nice to hang with and was really kind to Sarai and good in the sack, who knows? Maybe she would, Maybe that was an upsell for her. I don't know. But either way, I feel like Abram and Sarai come out of Egypt on the up and up. And uh, yeah, like I said before, this will not be the last time that God uses the Israelites to flex on the Pharaoh. And yeah, and also all the Egyptian gods. That's definitely a theme. You know, there are many, many gods in Egypt. Um, if you want to take a trip down awesome pants time, you should definitely go check out Egyptian mythology. It's very, very cool. There's lots of, you know, much like other pantheons where there's a variety of different gods that serve a bunch of different functions. And so, yeah, the god of, the god of Abraham and Isaac really likes flexing on the Egyptian gods. That's definitely going to happen again. So... After we've had our vacation, our mini get-rich-quick time in Egypt, Abram and Sarai and Lot, nephew Lot, is still with them, and they all move back to... Beep, beep, back to Bethel. We're just going someplace. Don't ask me where Bethel is. That's that place they stopped to sacrifice that one time. I think it's also really cool. If you haven't read American Gods, you should check it out because Neil Gaiman's a genius, and it's a really, really awesome book. But one of the things that he talks about with his theory of how the gods come to America 
is that gods come and when you sacrifice to them, when you bring your belief, the god comes with you, which I think is really interesting. So I think it's cool that as they travel along, they stop and sacrifice to the Lord. And, you know, I'm just putting a little theory in there. Perhaps that brings him with them. And I think that's really neat. So beep, beep, back to Bethel and we hang out. So here's a hypothetical question. Don't worry, I'm going to answer it for you. What happens when a ridiculously rich guy and his ridiculously rich nephew go into a bar? You got it. Turf wars and smack talk. That's what happens. So Lot's herders start talking shit about Abram's herders and vice versa. There is drama in the camp. Solution, Abram says to Lot, boy, take your shit and get out of here. Just go somewhere else. And so he's kind of a nice uncle. And he says, you know what? You pick where you want to go. Obviously, there's trouble between your herders and my herders. So you know what we're going to do? We're just going to move on here. And I'm going to say, you go pick your favorite spot. And I'm going to go wherever you aren't so that we can end this crazy turf war. So Lot picks the Jordan Valley, which I don't know. I've never been, but don't worry. The Jordan's coming back. This is the first mention in the Bible, and we will definitely hear about it again. And it probably looks just about as lush as Egypt was. Again, you're on a river delta. I have seen photos of the Jordan, and I was kind of like, hmm, okay. It's kind of a scrubby desert river, but like, whatever. Again, source of water, very important. And so they go off. And the bonus, there were only a few other people living there. Make no mention of what happens to the other people that are living there. Once again, this is going to happen a lot in the next few books this season. Just don't worry about it. Don't think of what happened to them. Just just put them out of your mind. Probably sad things happen. Anyway, so we also have a little bit of foreshadowing. And I thought about splitting these things up, but I mean, I'm just... Itching to tell you guys about Lot and all the shit. So we'll get there. And when they talk about Lot moving off to the Jordan in the direction of Zoar, they give this little piece of foreshadowing. It's basically, oh, by the way, this was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're like, wait, what? Who's Sodom and Gomorrah? Who? What? But everybody would have known about this already, right? So this is, picture someone telling this tale in the future when both Lot and all the shit and Sodom and Gomorrah have already happened. So, you know, telling it in this day and age you would just harken back to it and say, oh, by the way, that was before Sodom and Gomorrah and everybody around the fire would go, oh. So it's just some, you know, for us, it's just some hot foreshadowing, but for people that were hearing the tale at the time, it, it would have made sense. So Lot settles in the Jordan Valley right next to Sodom. Yikes. Oof, it's a time. So we're going to just put the pause on Lot for a minute and I'm going to wrap up the Abram and Sarai part. Don't worry, they come back, but we're just going to take a little trip here. So... Abram and Sarai, they've chosen Canaan for their little bit of, of the world. And so God comes to him and says, hey, cool, great choice. Go on, take a little tour. Check out all this land and you can see it because it's going to be yours. Also, you are going to have so many descendants. See all those stars up there? You're going to have more descendants than that. So just, uh, yeah. Superlatives. There's lots of that. We're going to have so many kids. Also, I think <laughs> he doesn't necessarily say stars. He says, your kids are going to be like dirt. And I can just picture Abram being like, uh, uh, wait, wait, uh, like dirt, Lord? Like, what? Yeah, I mean, can you count the dirt? I don't think so. Best metaphor ever. God and Abram exchange a quick spiritual high five. Cut scene. 
So that's what happens. That's God promising Abram. I think he promises again later on, but we'll get there. Don't worry about how he gets to have the land of Canaan forever and ever and ever and ever. And also he's going to have so many freaking descendants. It's going to be awesome. So put the pause on that. We've skipped ahead now. We're now on to Genesis 14, which I just, I wrote my notes and it just says lot and all the shit in capital letters because oof. Yeah. If you were hopeful about what was going to happen to lot, mm, it's not going to be a good time. So I'm going to set you up a little bit. So for just put put Abram and Sarai on a little back shelf in your brain because we're going to come back to them. But we're going to follow Lot over to where he's living by Sodom. And so this is just, we're just setting up these, these battles here. So we got a bunch of kings. There's five kings on one side and five things, five kings, four kings on the other side. So team one, which we're going to call team Sodom and Gomorrah because... The first two kings are Sodom, Gomorrah. The other ones are Admah, Zeboim, and Bela, or Zoar. So, ding, ding, that's a lot. Uh, the other four are Elam, Goim, Shinar, and Elisar. Okay, there you go. I told you the names. You can completely forget all of them. So we've got Team Sodom and Gomorrah and the other team. So we have this great big battle in the Valley of Sidim, which is incidentally full of bitumen pits. And bitumen is not spelled the way you think. It's B-I-T-U-M-E-N, bitumen. If you haven't heard, this is some sweet-ass clay. We actually have some in Alberta and all through the Badlands. If you have Badlands or canyons where you live, you probably have it. And let me tell you, when it rains, bitumen is slippery as shit. So picture the fact that you're having a battle in this valley on clay that is slippery as hecko. Uh, it also is the thing that goes in toothpaste, by the way. So you have bituminous clay in your toothpaste and in your ice cream. Fun fact. But in the early world, here we are in this valley of Sidim, and it's all over the ground. So I think it's fair to say that uh, Team Sodom and Gomorrah lost since they were in the process of fleeing. <sighs> and a bunch of their soldiers fell into the pits. So, you know, as you did. The team, the other team, Team Elam, we're going to call them, because that was the first king that was mentioned, took all of Team Sodom and Gomorrah's shit and then, quote-unquote, went their way. So, part of the shit was apparently Lot, since if you remember, he was on Team Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He moved to Zoar. That's Team Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, phew. Hope you're still with me. If you need to, like, skip ahead for the 30 seconds to get over all of this stuff, just, you know, hang on. So... Lot and all of his stuff are now with Team Elam, which is not Team Sodom and Gomorrah. And we, by with the team, I mean they were enslaved by the team. Because that's what happens when you win a battle in the early world, is you take everyone's shit, and also all of them. And uh, they're yours now, to do with as you wish. So happily for Lot, and everybody else except for Team Elam, <laughs> someone escaped and went to Abram and said, oh, hey, by the way, your nephew's been captured, so also you should, like, go rescue him, I think. And so, you know, Abram decides to throw down, so he takes 300 of his men and ambushes Team Elam at Damascus and kicks some ass, rescues Lot, all his stuff, and all of the other people who have been captured. Pretty bitchin' for Abram. So remember when I said you had to put him on a shelf? That's a lie. Apparently you don't. So Abram's out there kicking some butt because he's uh, he's the man. So that's how that goes down. They get reunited. Everything is great. So now we're going to time skip to Genesis 18. 
So we're going to break off from Abram for a little bit just to follow Lori, Lot's story. Lori. <laughs> His name's not Lori. It's Lot. We're going to follow Lot's story out to the end. So if you're following along with your Bible, just skippity flip all the way to Genesis 18, chapter 16. So that's right. Time for some judgment. Woof. This is... Okay, so if you don't already know, uh, Sodom, the name of the city of Sodom, that's where we actually get the noun sodomy. Uh, and we're going to talk about that. And this is, yeah, you thought we'd seen some punishment already, but this is the real deal, my friends. We are stepping up for some real F&B, and I don't mean Facebook, I mean fire and brimstone. So, oof, negotiation time. This is the time of the righteous men. So stay tuned, because this is some good stuff. Phew. Okay. So I have to say, now in the midst of our little time skip that we did, where we went from chapter 14, yep, all the way over to chapter 18, we've had a few little changes. The first is that Abraham is now Abram's name, and Sarai is now Sarah. So we're back to Abraham and Sarah, which are probably the names that you know these folks by if you've heard of them already. Uh, they're also having some guys that are at their place, and they're asking him about his wife, and Abraham says she's in the tent. And uh, this stranger says, oh, hey, by the way, next time I come back, you're, uh, you're going to have a son. And Sarah's like, ha! <laughs> yeah, no, bro. That's, no, 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 no. It, it, the Bible puts it quite nicely and says that she is advanced in age, but that menopause thing, that has been and gone. The womb is dusty and cobwebbed. Ain't nothing growing in there. And so... Then the Lord says to Abraham, hey, 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 how come Sarah laughed when the Maya messenger dude said she was going to have a baby? And uh, Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. Because she's like, oh shit, I laughed at the Lord. This is going to be the worst. And then the Lord says, and I quote, oh yes, you did laugh. And then we just leave that piece. Just We just leave it alone. So don't ask me what happens there because I don't know. But I promise we'll come back to Abraham and Sarah as a couple and we're going to review all the stuff that happened to them and, you know, their whole story. And they're, they're very important people, so don't forget about them. We're going to come back. But we're going to stick with Abraham for a little bit because after he went and kicked some butt and rescued Lot and then came back to his own place in Canaan and, you know, mucked around and did some cool stuff, now we get to pronouncing judgment on Sodom. So some men... Maybe the ones that were visiting. I don't know. They take Abraham. They go off on their way to Sodom. And then the Lord has this little inner monologue. And he says to himself, hmm, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Because I have heard some nasty stuff about those cities. And so I have come down to check it out. Because obviously, when the complaints are loud enough, they reach the Lord. Ooh, you've been doing some things that are not so awesome. So the question is, should I tell Abraham? I mean, I did just promise to him that I was going to look after him for all the days of his life and give him the land of Canaan and stuff. Yeah, I probably should tell him. So whoever the bros are that Abraham has been traveling with, they go on their way and the Lord says to Abraham, oh, hey, so by the way, Sodom and Gomorrah, mm, great outcry, very grave sin. I'm going to go, I'm going to go check this out and uh, sweep the wicked. Just going to sweep them up. And so then we have this really, I think this is a wonderful piece of the Old Testament that is really neglected in Christianity. It's one of the things I really appreciate about uh, the Hebrew scholars that I've had a chance to hang out with and some of the Jewish folks that I've chatted with, because this is just the best. 
it, God doesn't just say, I'm going to sweep those people out of there. And Abraham goes, oh yeah, cool. All right, sweet. No, Abraham says, but we, if you just knock the cities down, what happens if you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What about that? And God's like, oh shit, yeah. <sighs> and and like these these men that end up talking to God, like, oh, we're going to find a theme. You know, it, they, they just... They just know how to play it, man. I, and it just, it gives different picture of God, I think, than the one that I certainly was raised with in a Protestant sort of semi-Catholic mix-up home. I mean, it's it's really interesting that a lot of, and we'll see a lot of this again, a lot of the prophets, a lot of the people that God speaks to feel quite comfortable speaking back and saying, not just, uh, that's a horrible idea, you know, knowing that that would get them smote into dust, but they say things like, you know, far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Shall the judge of all the earth not do what is just? Like, whoa, I mean, you're God. You're such a great guy. I can't believe you do this. Like, why would you? I can't believe it. You know, you're so awesome. And, you know, putting that flattery and that, like, respectful language in there along with it, it just, it reminds me of the way that courtiers speak to kings, you know? Like, when the king's about to be a dipshit and one of the courtiers is like, oh, my lord, but that is, that is beneath you. Like, I can't believe you would do something like that. You're way too awesome to do something like that. And then the lord says, hmm, okay, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham starts to haggle. This man has some brass ass monkey balls. I cannot even, I cannot even fathom. You are sitting there talking to the Lord and he says, all right, 50. And you say, how about 45? And he says, uh, yeah, okay, let's drop it to 40. And you say, but what about like, how about, um, how about 30? And the Lord's like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, 30 or there, I won't, I won't, uh, I won't destroy the place. And Abram just keeps going, Abraham, pardon me, and says, how about, how about 20? Yeah, yeah, okay, if there's, if there's 20, I won't do it. Well, I mean, if you wouldn't destroy them for 20, then how about 10? And the Lord's like, you know what? Yeah, 10, fine. If I find 10 righteous men, then I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Cool, it's a deal. Interestingly enough, uh, in this bargaining, you'll find in pop culture, there's a movie called 10 Righteous Men, and that is a, they're quoting this exchange between God and Abraham, where God agrees that if he could find 10, just even, even 10 righteous men in Sodom, then I won't raise it to the ground. So that's cool. That's where the deal is. Spoilers, it doesn't happen. But it's a really interesting, like I say, I, I spend the time on it because I think it's a really interesting example of these guys just like, blah, like, Lord, you're about to do a really dumb thing. Are you sure it wouldn't be smarter if you did it this way? And the Lord's like, yeah, okay. I mean, I suppose you could argue that God really knew that there weren't any righteous men in Sodom and he was just indulging Abraham in a little bit of friendly, you know, haggling back and forth. But either way, it just gives you this really interesting picture of a very uh, collegial sort of like back and forth between God and the, and the people that he chooses to speak to. It's very, very interesting. So we're just going to skip right on past that little haggling match to the depravity of Sodom. So I know this sounds like the beginning of a joke, but two angels walk into Sodom in the evening. <laughs> and so I don't know whether Lot knew that they were angels or not. 
I'm hoping he did because otherwise he's just being a weirdo. Because as soon as they walk to the gate, Lot just happens to be hanging out there and he sees them and he says, oh my God, you guys, you got to come to my house. And they say, no, 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 it's fine. We'll spend the night in the square. And he says, no, 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 no. You got to come to my house. I've got the best bread. My wife is an amazing cook. Oh my God, you got to come stay the night. Like, you know, I would really, I want you to be my guests. And it says he urged them so strongly that they turned and, and entered his house. And he made them not just a meal, not just a snack, no, a feast. And they had baked and unleavened breads, all kinds of stuff. Which, I mean, to me, that says you, you brought out the good stuff. You got baked unleavened bread. Mm, that's the prime. It's the prime real estate right there. And so they're about to hang out and, you know, lay down and go to sleep and do their thing. But before they lay down, the men of the city... Sodom, both young and old, which I think is really interesting. I'm just picturing this 90-year-old out there. And they come and they start beating on Lot's door. And they say, hey, 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 hey. We're those dudes that came to your house tonight, bro. Bring them out that we may know them. And we've already discussed the term, the biblical term, knowing. And I just want to pause for a moment here and take a brief little political detour. Because this is one of those pieces of the Old Testament that I'm just like, I'm sorry, wait, what? So... We have this modern interpretation that, like I say, we got the word sodomy from the city of Sodom. And that's used, that was used and still is by people who I don't want to hang out with to describe um, gay sex. And that's not at all cool because I think what's clearly described here is a bunch of randos showing up at somebody's house and saying, where are those men that are your guests? Because it's time for a gangbang. And also it's rape, by the way, presuming that it's not consensual. And so that's the one thing, right? So just put that in your little, you know, little back pocket and think about that for a bit. I don't know, go home and reflect on it or something. The other piece that I want to bring up, because this is about to seem really, really, really sexist. And I don't know how to handle it because I think it is really sexist. I don't know what to do with this, okay? Like, and this is the first of many times where I'm just going to offer this stuff up and I'm going to tell you the story and everybody's going to say, but Kelsey, why you, Why did this happen? And I'm going to say, look, dude, I didn't write the book. I don't know what happened. I don't have an explanation and I don't have an excuse. So all these guys come to Lot's house and say, hey, bring out those two hot dudes. Let's, uh, let's get it on. And Lot says, oh, no, you can't have those guys. But have I got a couple of really hot daughters, virginal and all, they have never known a man. How about you have those ones? And, mm, yeah, I don't know. A little bit of historical context. I don't think it makes it better, but I'm just giving it to you to, to do with as you will. There's been lots of scholarly suggestion about the fact that Lot really had no choice. He's A, by the laws of hospitality in the early world, I mean, you would have it would have been better for you to give up yourself for rape than it would have been to give up your guests. Like these are the people who are under the protection of your home. And as the host, it's expected that these people can depend on you to absolutely lay your life on the line to protect their safety, right? But the question is why didn't, if Lot was so concerned with the laws of hospitality, why didn't he offer himself instead of his daughters? I don't know. It's problematic. I don't love it. It's a, it's a tough story. And one of my, uh, chaplain friends who I have a ton of respect for would just, whenever we'd get to pieces like this, he'd just say to me, he'd just be like, you know, there's some tough stuff in here. You just got to wrestle with that. I don't think there's an easy answer. And I would agree because this is hashtag very troubling. 
But you'll be happy to know, Lot's daughters don't actually get given up to the crowd, so it's all good. I just think the fact that he offered is just bonanza to me. But anyway, nobody gets raped. That's a good deal. Because, of course, you have to remember that not only does Lot have guests in his house, he has a couple of angels in his house. So, again, I can see why, if you know that you have a couple of angels in your house, you would be less than keen to offer them up to the mob for the gangbang. But, um, you know, Lot, come on, my bro. You had a chance to offer yourself and come across as all self-sacrificing and everything would have made a whole bunch of sense, but instead you offer your daughters. Like, come on, man. Just get some help. Anyway, so he does get some help because the guys are like, no, 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 no. We don't want your virginal daughters. We want those two hot guys. I get it. Angels are good looking. If you've seen Good Omens, you know the truth. Anyway, so... Also, Lot has told them, oh, by the way, don't be so wicked. Why would you want to, you know, have these, you know, hot guys that I have in my house? They're my guests. How could you? And so the people of Sodom are like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. You come here. You're a stranger. You're not one of us. And you want to start preaching about morals? Time to break down this loser's door. And they try to do that, except that, like I say, Lot's got angels in his house. And the angels pull Lot back into the house They close the door, and then they afflict all of those present with blindness, which is what happens. So, and I love that the Bible is so specific, and I just, sometimes it's so specific, and sometimes it's so delightfully vague. But in in this particular place, it's extremely specific, and it says, Struck with blindness the men who were at the door of the house, both small and great, so it doesn't matter what rank you are or how tall you are, depending on how you want to take that, so that they were unable to find the door. And I just think it's nice that you have to let us know that now that they have their sight no longer, they can't find the door. They won't be finding anything, biblical writers, but thanks for the detail. Like, I love it. It's just one of those extra little rhetorical devices that causes me a great deal of humor. So, we're safe inside. All the dudes outside are blind. And so the men... Notice now that they're men, not angels. And so that's where I'm a little bit confused. I'm not sure whether Lot knew they were angels. I'm guessing that because in the verse where Lot meets them, it's they're referred to as angels. And when Lot meets them, he doesn't just say, hey, bro, like you would to another person that you meet. He bows down with his face on the ground. Like he is demonstrating massive amounts of respect for these just two rando dudes. So I'm guessing that Lot knows they're angels, but that nobody else does is kind of the interpretation that I'm going on. But I mean, hey, if you want to dispute that, you just go hard, whatever, your, your big kids do what you want. So these angels slash men say to Lot, hey, so do you have any people that live with you in Sodom? Like daughters, sons, people? And Lot's like, well, actually, yeah, I have my whole family here, but you know, what of it? And they say, so thanks for the bread and everything, but also we're about to destroy this place. So maybe you should leave. And Lot says to his son-in-law, Hey, so you should leave because God's about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law were like, dude, you crazy. Like, whatever, we're not leaving. And so when the morning comes, the angels, again, so now they're back to angels again. So I'm not really sure. The angels say a lot. No, seriously, like, it, whatever. If your son-in-law is going to be a doofus, get your wife, get your daughters, pack up everybody and get out of here. Like, we are, we literally are going to destroy this place. So... He lot packs his stuff, packs his ladies, packs his mules and his camels and his goats and all the stuff. And 
when they come, they're ready and they're outside and the angels say, flee for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere on the plane. So this is a very crucial instruction in case you hadn't guessed by the way that I was being very deliberate about it. Don't stop. Don't look back. Flee to the hills or else you will be consumed. And so Lot says, oh, bugger. Look, I mean, I'm look, so I'm really glad about the fact that you're letting me get out of here. And I really appreciate the favor. But I can't go to the hills because what if what if I get consumed over there? Like, that's not I, I suspect that Lot was kind of being like, I don't want to go to the hills. There's nothing in the hills. I know. Why don't we go to that hot little town over there? Let's go there instead. You know, there's a city that's, uh, you know, big enough to flee to, and it's not a little one. It's close enough. How about I escape there? Um, you know, it's just, a, it's just a little city. You really need to destroy all of the place? Like, what if we just have that little city where I am, and you don't destroy that one so that I can still get some really choice wine and sleep in a bed, and also you get to do what you're supposed to do? How about, how about that? And the angels say, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. But also hustle up, because I can't do anything until you get there, so could you please... And the city was called Zoar, by the way, so that's, uh, just, I don't know where that's important. Perhaps it would have been relevant to ancient people. I suspect that at this point, around the fire, all the ancient people would have been like, yeah, Zoar, God loved it. So the sun had risen, and Lot got to Zoar, and then this is where we start getting sulfur and fire. It starts to rain sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's not awesome. So... It killed everybody? It says he overthrew those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. I don't know how you overthrow some grass. I think that's probably just a fancy English translation for they did. Uh, and we salted the ground and nothing grows there. And here's this other piece. I don't know what to do about this. It's just, it's a teeny tiny mention. I feel like it's important. You know, like this is a, this is kind of a big deal to me. And it gets one verse. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Like, what? I'm, ugh, like, Lord, let me get this straight. Like, you go to all the trouble of rescuing these people, and then, then she turns around and she gets made into a pillar of salt? I don't know. I feel like my best guess, and this is my best guess, reminder, ding, ding, I'm not a scholar, I'm just doing this. And I feel like it, it reminds me of when in other mythologies, people, you know, they, ha they have a task and they complete the task and they're almost there and they're almost safe. Like Orpheus and Eurydice in, in Greek mythology, where Eurydice looks, Orpheus looks back and then Eurydice is lost forever and also Orpheus is dead, right? Like it, it's a common sort of theme in other mythologies that, you know, so-and-so didn't obey the instructions they were given to the letter and so bad things happened to them. I don't know. I feel like it's part of a, like I say, a different perception of God that gods are capricious and they follow rules, but you're not always sure of the rules. And you might have taken that as just a general statement, but oh no, that angel meant it. He meant don't look back or you will be consumed. So apparently being consumed means you get turned into a pillar of salt, which I mean, quite valuable in the ancient world, but also no longer a wife. So, or a person in any respect so uh, it's rough it's rough it's rough that's all i can say i don't love it moment of tiny silence for lot's wife because and like i say i just it's it's this theme that you'll see cropping up again and again and again is that you know we'll hear lots of stories about the men and all the really cool things they did and we don't hear anything about their wives she doesn't even have a name she's just lot's wife which is 
I don't know. I don't love it. Which I think is also why a lot of Bible fanfic that popped up in the Middle Ages, and I say fanfic as, as a loose term, drama and art and writing and all kinds of good stuff, I think really takes these, you know, much like fan fiction does with the canon that we produce nowadays, you know, you see a mention of a tiny side character and you're like, oh man, I wonder what their life was like. Like, I wonder what what it would have been like. Presumably, the interpretation that I know of is that Lot married a woman from Sodom. And so I can't imagine what it would be like when this guy that you married says, oh, hey, I have a line in with God. He's going to destroy your whole city. But lucky you, you're married to me. So we get to go away scot-free. I just can't imagine what that would be like. And, and there are lots of, you know, narrative interpretations out there of Lot's wife and Noah's wife and, and some of those lesser known characters in the Bible. And I just think, well, yeah, of course you look back. I'd look back. I would have long since been turned to a pillar of salt. I wouldn't have made it out of Genesis. So there you go. Have that to just meditate on a little bit. And uh, yeah, so Abraham pops up again. And he goes early in the morning up to the place where he talked to God about the ten righteous men. And he looks down and sees what happened and goes, well, guess there were no ten righteous men. That kind of sucks. But, again, I think this is, and this will come up a lot, is that God favors Abraham. And so this is a, this is a chance to point out in the, in the narrative of this story to point out that even though God destroyed this entire city and all of these people, God remembered Abraham. And it was because of Abraham that God did a favor for Lot, you know, gave him a solid and said, get out of here. Because Lot's about to have a hard time. So, I'm just telling you guys, let's just say this straight off. Incest is not wincest. It's just not. So, we're out of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've passed that little shady time there. And now we've moved on to Zoar. And... Predictably, as as I might have mentioned earlier on, you know, Lot didn't say, you know what, we're going to go to the hills, it's fine, thanks for saving my life, we'll, we'll do what we need to do out there. He was like, but how about we go to the city, though, so I can have some hot wine and some sick beets? So they do that, and um, he lives alone with his daughters, and the daughters get together, and they're like, okay, so look at this, here's the situation. So our dad is really old. And there is no other man in the place. So, here's the plan. I want to have a baby. You want to have a baby. Ain't nobody else around. So why don't we get our father really drunk? And then we'll do the nasty. And then we'll have babies. Win. So they decide to do that, I guess. So the firstborn does that, because I guess if you're oldest, you get to go first. What a pleasure. Anyway, so off they go. And um, he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. So that was a thing. Whew, the stuff I read for you guys. And the next day, the uh, firstborn said to the younger one, Hey, so I did it. It worked out great. So why don't we do it again? And then you can have a turn too. Then we can both get have babies. Yay! So they do the whole thing again. And both the daughters of Lot become pregnant by their father. The firstborn had a son and named him Moab, and the younger daughter had a son also and named him Ammon. And um, I think this is another one of the origin stories because we are going to hear about the Moabites and the Ammonites. Uh, they come up later, I believe. There's some... 
I feel like they get in a fight with Joshua at some point. Like I say, it's hard to give previews on stuff that you haven't read in a really long time. But anyway, that's uh, that's how the Moabites and the Ammonites came to be. And I suspect that much like Noah cursing his grandson for no foreseeable reason, this is a way to explain like, oh yeah, when it comes up in the future, like I say, this tale being told around the fire, all the people listening to that would have been like, oh yeah, the Moabites, the Ammonites, we hate those jerks. Boo. You know, your father, your, your father was a monkey and your mother smelled of elderberries. You know, it's those kinds of insults, right? Like you were descended from this really horrible act of incest. So whether that happened or not, you're welcome, I guess. So that's, uh, yeah, that's Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the end of Lot and all the shit. And as far as I know, Lot doesn't show up again, but... Like I say, I didn't know there was naked grandpa time in here either, so it's a surprise for everyone. Next episode, we're going to head on back and we're going to talk a little bit more about Abraham and Sarah and that promise that God made and said, hey, bro, you're going to have a son. And Sarah was like, lol, yeah, right. There's cobwebs going on in here. We're going to come back to that and we're going to get to uh, one of my friend's favorite, favorite parts, which is Abraham sacrificing Isaac. So, who is his son, by the way? So... Stay tuned. You got to come back next episode, my friends, because we're going to be talking about sacrificing your kids for the Lord. And that's going to be a fun time. Look, I promised I'd read the thing and tell you about it. I didn't promise you that it would be great. I did promise you that I would try to make it funny. So we'll see how we do attaching humor to uh, knife in your son and sacrifice him to the Lord. Anyway, thanks for hanging out. If you've made it to the end of the episode, I would just like to let you all know that you can find us on Instagram at the pocketbook pod and we don't have a gmail yet because i'm behind the eight ball but we will so if you do want to email in suggestions or questions if you're sitting listening to the podcast going but kelsey why no guarantee i'm gonna answer them but i can at least commiserate with you about how absolutely banana cakes this stuff is so uh as always thanks for listening give us a review give us a shout out to your friends you know let people know if you and if you enjoyed the podcast let me know if you're one of the you know 10 people that are in my family that are listening to this great otherwise we'll catch you next episode for some child sacrifices thanks for listening